Hello and welcome to Found, the TechCrunch podcast where we tell you the stories behind the startups. I'm your host, Daryl Etherington, and I'm here with the smart summary to my extended, boring, long-winded edition. Director's Cut. Yeah. Jordan Crook here. Yeah. Director's Cut is a positive spin on it, so I appreciate that, Jordan. Well, it depends who the director is. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I guess if it's... Am I the... Oh, goodness. Now I forget his name. You know. The DC one. I was actually thinking Director's Commentary. Oh, okay. Okay. Not the... Snyder, the Snyder cut. I'm not the Snyder cut. So I kind of it up. Let's just be real. <laughs> but yeah, like like yeah, like Zack Snyder. Yeah. Okay. This is an entertainment podcast, so you didn't come here to be entertained. <laughs> we have another one for that. Yeah. Yeah. Equally lost. Yes. You came here to learn about a startup, and well, before we get to that, actually, I want to tell about something very important coming up, which is. TechCrunch Disrupt, right, Jordan? You're excited about that? TechCrunch Disrupt. Never heard of it before. Yeah, no, it's very exciting. And it's October 18th through 20th. We're coming back to in-person for the first time in two years. So Yeah, that's right. I'm amped, actually. I, I think I'm going to be a little nervous, you know? like it, It's like going for the very first time. I know, it is. It's going to be... I mean, we've had events, and they're great. They're great. I'm not saying they're anything awesome. bad about our events. They're all great. Better than great. But this is the big one. It is going to feel different and new all over again, which is exciting for sure. What's his name? Brett Snyder is there from the DC. No, he's not. I'm just, it's a callback show. But, uh, oh, yeah. Alan Snyder. (laughs) We still don't know his name. His name is Zach. Zach. I was right the first time. I knew the whole time I was just playing a fun game. Anyways, he's not there alone. But real people who are, Arguably more more famous than Zack Snyder. Well, definitely. Way more famous. famous. You're actually offending some of the people coming to the show by even making the comparison. But we'll have Serena Williams is going to be there. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Long time coming. We've been asking her every year for like a decade. We have RJ Scarringe coming from Rivian, which is kind of cool because he basically never does interviews. That's right. Chris Dixon will be there to talk crypto. Uh huh. The Solana founder, the OnlyFans CEO, is going to be there. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of spicy. Well, yeah. I mean, they're they're pivoting. I mean, they're not pivoting away from because they're still doing the adult content, but they're also doing other originals. So very curious about how they think about that balance. A lot so. happening there. Yeah. yeah. And then Toyin's going to be there. Toyin Ajayi from City Block. Yeah. Who's been a guest on this show? That's right. And Dylan Field from Figma, who's also been a guest on this show. So more from them. Yeah. Some alum. Of found, as we call them lovingly. (laughs) A flum. (laughs) But we have a very special guest this week as well. This week we're talking to Shiv Rao from Abridge, which is an app that uses AI to summarize and structure health conversations for both patient and provider. So that's what we were alluding to in our intro there. But it's really, really <laughs> impressive technology. What you won't hear in the podcast is that Shiv gave us a quick demo afterwards, and it was really impressive what it can do. I think they have video of it on their site if you want to go check that out as well. But definitely impressive. Shiv himself is very impressive. So let's go ahead and hear from him. Hi, Shiv. How's it going? It's going great, Daryl. Awesome. How are you? Great, great. It's really good to have you here today. Excited to talk to you and excited to talk about a bridge. So do you want to give us a rundown of what it is that a bridge does? 
for our listeners who might not be familiar? Yeah. Abridge summarizes medical conversations for the most important people in healthcare. Patients, first and foremost, but also providers, people like me, doctors. And the technology can be a part of those conversations wherever they're happening and then can create the summary so it's way beyond a transcript that helps everyone better understand and follow through on what they talked about. Awesome. Yeah, it sounds pretty straightforward. Like when I was looking into it, I was like, oh, yeah, I can see immediately like why you would want that and what the value is. I think you mentioned some of the materials like we have all these conversations with our medical professionals and... Most of the time, we don't remember what those are. People on both sides, right? Like, just don't remember what was said. And that rung really true to me. Yeah. There's so many times where I'm like, oh, right, I'm supposed to do, what was it again? <laughs> like, I'm not. Do totally. I eat a lot of chocolate or don't eat chocolate? <laughs> no chocolate. Which one? I can't remember. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously, there's a need. So, you have a history, you know, as a medical professional. Is, is that how you got into it? Or how did you come up with this idea to begin with, I suppose? You know, it's interesting. You know, we're telling the whole story at this point in that we're helping professionals and we're helping patients. But what initially brought me to this idea was the patient side of the story. So hmm. about, about seven years ago, my wife and I found out about a rare disease in our family. And we realized pretty quickly that we needed to go through IVF with PGD to have a surefire healthy pregnancy. And this was after you know, pretty challenging event where we had to terminate a pregnancy that wasn't going to be viable. And it was my first experience being on, on the other side of the table with the family member as a family member on the, on the patient side of the room because I'm a practicing cardiologist. And it was my first time experiencing, and it's no fault of any individual, but just how much information asymmetry there is, how much power asymmetry. And at the end of this journey, you know, we had that bad outcome. And then we went through three years of IVF with PGD. And it's a happy ending. Mm. We're now the really proud parents of twin six-year-old boys. But those three oh, years were so tough. We traveled from Pittsburgh to Santa Monica to New York City. And the thing that I took away from those years was that the first experience that a person asked themselves or a family member asks someone after they've seen a doctor or a nurse is, what do they say? What do the doctor say? What do the nurse say? What are we right. supposed to do? And so often those pieces of paper that people bring home, they don't meet people where they really want to be met. You know, they're very generic. They don't really reflect what you actually talked about. So that patient side of the story is where we really started because it just felt like there's this huge unmet need and that we could help mm -hmm. everyone better understand and follow through on their conversations. But we knew from day zero that we needed to thread that needle. We needed to tell that professional story as well. Right. Yeah. I feel like we've had this conversation on the podcast itself, right? Of just like the discrepancy between what is said in the actual doctor's office and then what you end up taking home ends up right. being like just such a big difference. But like, I'm curious about how you actually put this into practice. Is this something that the consumer just has on their phone and is able to record? And how does that deal with anything compliant related, whether it's on the healthcare side or on just like the state laws, right? Like you can't record two person yeah. conversations without consent. And all. Like, how does all of that stuff work? Yeah, it's a great question. And it also gets at 
why even when we started the company, our first seed deck, you know, really told this bigger story around being around threading the needle between professionals and their patients, like getting everyone to want this technology to be a part of the conversation because it could help everyone. Because everyone, like you said, Daryl, is forgetting the details of these conversations. And the implications are huge. Like on the professional side, as a doctor, I'll go to clinic and I'll see 10 patients in a row. And I'll try not to, you know, look at the medical record the whole time. I'll try to look at them the whole time. But that means I'm taking this chicken scratch. And then at the end of my day, I'm looking at this chicken scratch and trying to piece together, well, who are these people? Uh, what do we talk about? What were the details? And I'll put together a note. And oftentimes I'll put together that note like after dinner, you know, at home. And we call that pajama time. Mm. In, in healthcare. And it's just soul crushing to have to do all that clerical work at the end of the day, because I just, you know, there's no way to really keep track and keep pace with, you know, the amount of patients that we all see on a daily basis. So I think in terms of the high level kind of vision here, it's that this technology can be a part of the conversation, whether it's happening over telemedicine, over the telephone, whether it's in person, and it can create summaries for everyone involved such that all these questions around, well, who's going to record, you know, do I need permission that they just go away? Mm -hmm. But when we started the company, we knew that the minimum viable product for the professional side was going to take a minute to build. It needed a lot of really deep technology, a lot of really, you know, core machine learning work needed to be done. But we also knew that the bar for creating something really valuable for a consumer, for a patient and a family member was super low. I had experienced that myself. So we led with a consumer app in 2019 that over 200,000 people use. And while we were creating that value for the patient side of the story, we were building up that deep tech on the provider side. And now we can tell the whole story. So those patients, when they download that free app in the app store, they do ask for permission. You know, that's our sort of default stance. It's, it's always better. You're going to probably have a better conversation as well if you do that. That said, there's 12 states where there are those wiretapping laws. Single party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I think I was wondering was like, you know, why have a specialized tool? Like, I suspect that it's domain expertise comes into play a lot. Right. But like, I mean, we use Otter for our work events and it's gotten pretty good over time. And then Google has their own that's built into many Android phones. Right. But do you want to talk a bit more about that and what, what you had to do on the tech side to make sure that things were captured correctly and everything? Yeah, absolutely. So at the bottom of the stack of technologies is what you're, I think, describing, which is like speech transcription, right, just being sure. able to capture the words. And certainly there's a way to do a better job of that for healthcare, a way to recognize all the latest medications and the latest diagnoses. But everything above that transcript is really where we focused, where we've built really proprietary technology. And so that's in like the natural language processing, natural language understanding, natural language generation space, like the summarization space where all that, all the cutting edge kind of headlines are coming out these days around AI. So what our technology does is it goes through every word that was said and it makes predictions on whether or not those words, those concepts, those ideas, whether they like be valuable in a note, mm. whether for the provider or for the patient. And so it sort of abridges a 30 minute conversation, for example, down to maybe 10 minutes of like core, you know, meaty substance. And then it goes one extra step. It'll actually classify that information. Okay. So if we were talk talking about a medication or an allergy or a next step, like I really want you to take you know, this medication twice a day, it's going to classify all that information into the right parts of a note that anybody could grok really quickly. But then the final step of our pipeline is where we've trained with millions and millions of encounters to get the machine to actually 
summarize that story. Mm. You know, we've seen headlines around summarizers for like Reddit threads or like a CNN article. What our summarization does is it uses the raw ingredient substrate of, of medical conversation and then like kind of distills it down and summarizes it in a format that everybody can kind of understand. Wow. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's like surprising a little bit to hear because like I get why so much focus would be needed on the summarization part. Right. Because like that's super duper necessary and like, okay, let's flatten this down to like, here's what we think the core issue is. Here's what we think the core solution could be. And like, here's how you go about it or whatever. But it's odd to think that you didn't spend much time on the medical jargon piece, because I feel like that's one of those pieces where if we, if Daryl and I had to go into a doctor's appointment, hopefully well, a we separate talked about one. this recently, <laughs> Jordan. Like I told you, I went into, well, I had a vasectomy recently, but like the doctor was like, I was like, oh, what's this thing? Like, just sort of curiosity, because they like, I Was they he put like, a that's a clitoris and thigh. that's a woman's? <laughs> no, it wasn't the parts. <laughs> it was it, like the pieces of equipment. And the guy was like, oh, that's a. And he said like a word as if, like, oh, we all know that word. As if you know it. Yeah, you learned <laughs> it in like, kindergarten. Why don't you know that word? And I was like, yeah, oh, yeah, oh of course. Because then I was like, I, I can't be, be dumb. I can't feel dumb in front of the doctor. So, so you're like, totally, totally. And you don't even know what to Google. Like, you're yeah. sitting there and you're like, I don't even know. You don't have the word. Yeah. Also, there was no stakes. This was purely for interest. But it could have been high stakes. It could have been like, high stakes. And like, if we yeah. took our otter transcription service into one of those and they were talking about medications and tools and body parts and all this stuff otter would be like the whatever was in the thing and the like it just thinks yeah, it you're talking you know what i mean like, strawberry it would make up an equivalent that had nothing to do with it right? or it would yeah. split it into three parts and it would be three easy words instead of the yeah. one giant word that the doctor actually said and it feels sometimes like those are the pieces I can understand, like, take this medication three times a day. Like, that isn't hard for me, right? Like, it's the actual name of the medication and the the extra weird stuff that I wasn't trained in medical school, so I don't know, that is super useful. So it's I, I'm just curious about that piece of it that you say is at the very bottom of the stack and, like, not needing much work. I just, like, is that something you buy? Is that something that already exists? Why does that not need much work? Because it feels like it would. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right that... If I say transcatheter or glioblastoplasty to a patient in my cardiology clinic, is okay, is Otter going to get that right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so what we do is we sort of live just above kind of like base level off the shelf speech transcription. We just try not to go really deep on something that we believe is already commoditized. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, we've done a lot of work in this piece. We've actually published more peer-reviewed computer science papers on this whole challenge than any other entity. And I'm, I'm, hmm. I'm proud to say that Google's in second place here. Wow. But what we might do, for example, is if, if I see you in clinic and I say, hey, you know, you have a history of diabetes and I really want you to take metformin. What our technology will do is, you know, it might off the shelf stuff might think that metformin is like meet me in because it doesn't understand that right. that's a medication name. But what our technology can do is sort of look underneath the covers and see all the different possibilities for that word and bias the system to understand that given that we talked about diabetes, this was actually metformin, mm -hmm. the context of the conversation, I just sort of told you to take something. And so it'll optimize what's off the shelf to kind of be bespoke. But then I think where we think like the magic really is, is in the understanding of the conversation, like the context of it. There's so much context in these conversations mm -hmm. around like what you're supposed to do next. What did you take before? What's your medical history? You know, how many packs of wine are you drinking every day? Like this is all really important medical information. Packs of wine. And I like that. 
that's the latest thing yeah it's yeah, interesting though too like okay so that clarifies so it's not that there's like no work necessary on medical jargon in voice transcription it's that you're like using some more predictive and contextual technology and kind of inserting the library of words so that your tech exactly. can figure it out so then I'm curious, my next question is like around the summary, because I've been really spoiled. I'm engaged to a farm D. So in the last few years, I've been really spoiled in like, the doctor said this medicine and she's like, oh, well, here's <laughs> all the information that you could ever want to know, right? Like I have a little WebMD at yeah. home, but how much of the summary is not from the conversation? In other words, like the doctor said you have this and the doctor said that you should take this or do this or that you need this surgery. And he or she might have explained some peripheral stuff to that. And we've put that in there. But then also, here's just like the bare facts on this that maybe isn't in a medical journal or isn't in medical jargon, but we've brought it in for you so you understand, you know, this works on proteins or this focuses yeah. on this part of your body or this metabolizes best with this or whatever so that you kind of have that extra peripheral information that's also available, but also difficult to parse through and know that you've got the right stuff. Yeah, totally. So if we have a conversation and it's there's a lot of kind of colloquial language in it, and I'm talking about packs of wine and stuff. So what what the what the technology is smart enough to do is sort of understand the conversation and then create a summary that meets the needs of both sides of the conversation. So on the consumer side where we started and where it's a little bit more akin to kind of an otter, but souped up for healthcare is that it'll create a transcript, but it selectively pulls out the medical moments from the conversation where something was discussed like a medication or like anatomy or a diagnosis or something. And then it'll put different colored outlines around the different types of medical jargon out there. And then it'll define it at a fourth grade reading level. So if you hit this button that says get more insight, it'll take transcatheter aortic valvuloplasty and define it at a fourth grade reading level. And we actually use machine learning to take PhD level definitions and distill them down to a level that makes sense, obviously, with a layer of expert quality assurance on those definitions. Then that helps people really understand and decode a conversation that maybe in the moment they didn't think to sort of say, wait, wait, what did you say? What is that word? So that yeah, they can go. Or they want it to look cool like me, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally exactly. know about that machine that you have. I looked really cool during my I bet non-surgical you super cool vasectomy. during your vasectomy. So tough, so strong. <laughs> you know, there's this data out of Dartmouth that people forget up to 80% of what they've heard in a medical oh, conversation. I don't know. It's just mind blowing. Yeah, yeah. But we were recently working with a large enterprise client solving the professional side of this for doctors who are burning out. It's like a public health crisis, how much burnout there is right now. And it really got triggered in large part or went to another level since the pandemic. But this system thinks that, you know, doctors, providers, the professionals are probably at best remembering like 70% mm -hmm. of the conversation. So can like technology help them remember more and do a better job of capturing all the details, all the color? And will that over time improve everything, not just from like better documentation means better billing means better, you know, follow through for the patient side, but also can it actually improve outcomes? Can it just lead to a healthier system? is is what we're going after and probably bedside manner and stuff too right yeah like part of the burnout less pajama yeah. time is going to lead to that for sure right yeah i mean obviously the pandemic and all of the reasons why right like they're they're all obvious so we don't have to list them but i think there's also a piece of it that like 
as a doctor, it's one of those high stake jobs where you take your every minute of it pretty seriously. And you're also dealing with someone who's in a pretty high stakes or stressful situation. So there's like a soft skills piece that's trying to come out, but while being a scientist. Totally. And if the soft skills stuff can kind of be like salesforced in a way, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then you have like, oh, okay, I'm up to date on this person. I'm pre-briefed. I know, yeah. you know, what's up from the last time we talked. So I think that would probably be pretty helpful too. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, no, that's huge. And so how did you go about that part of it? Because it sounds like that was the bigger challenge. And then you you got out there with the MVP on the consumer side. What were those big challenges involved in getting the clinician side up to spec to where you had the whole solution? And how did you do that? Yeah, I think by design, what's, what's interesting about the company is the kinds of ingredients that we're putting together and kind of like mashing up, forcing to collide. And it means putting together an incredible designer with an incredible machine learner and with like a clinician and a product person and getting them to like really bounce ideas off, off of each other very mm -hmm. quickly to test hypotheses in a space that otherwise would have really, really long kind of learning cycles, like machine learning. Right. So like sometimes with machine learning, like it, it'll take a year for you to get a data set and then you're training a model and then you learn a lesson pretty late that you should have annotated the data differently. Mm -hmm. So what we've been able to do is put these people in a room and then these minds are sort of cutting corners, we think, you know, getting to ideas a lot quicker and optimizing for all the different dimensions of what we're trying to provide, which is a great user experience that at the core is driven by machine learning, by mm -hmm. AI. So when we first started, in a sense, like there's a challenge here around like style transfer. What we want to be able to give the consumer, the patient and their family is different than what it should look like for the professional. Yeah. And on the professional side, of course, we have a high threshold for what's good enough as well. Right. Like they're not going to accept something that they don't trust. Right. And so building a system that can create trust because it's transparent, even if it's leveraging neural networks, was a challenge that we had to figure out design around early on annotating the data and then adjusting our annotations over time, QAing that. You know, people say this all the time, but I like having lived through it and living through it on a day to day basis. Like it just it's visceral that the hardest part sometimes is like the data aspect mm, of just right. getting clean data, annotating it the right way and having a vision for what you're working backwards from. Because if you don't know where you're working backwards from, there's no way to like really get the ball started like the ball rolling here with like data and, and model training so what was your north star there in terms of working back from did you just go and like find best in class like who are the physicians that like yourself your own experience or like did you go to people who you knew like these are very meticulous notes this is the bar we need to meet or exceed in order for this to be generally adopted or yeah all of yeah. the above for sure i think i'm the worst at writing notes about my <laughs> patients <laughs> so the pain point is visceral for me yeah. i i've done that a really i'm really proud of the care i deliver so i'll put that aside i, okay. I feel like I'm, I'm a decent doctor but i'm definitely the type of doctor who doesn't want to turn their back to the patient right who wants to kind of like have the conversation and i get so much from that conversation and so maybe I'll look down from time to time and take a note or two, but I really want to just have a conversation. And that means that writing notes becomes a problem that I'm punting to, to the night. Yes. And that is brutal. And I've been the doctor also who's called a patient on the weekend and said, like, hey, Daryl, so we saw each other on Wednesday. What do we talk about? Because like, <laughs> I don't really remember. Like, that's happened to me before, too. 
So certainly like there's my personal bar of what's acceptable, what's going to create value, but then absolutely going to different specialties and bringing experts together. We did a lot of like initial design discovery with family medicine experts, for example, who are really burning out in uh, yeah. PCPs in general, you know, with all of the volume, you know, all of the pressures that they have in this environment. Uh, but we brought them together and we really tried to understand what would make sense for them. You know, what do they consider like a really good, valuable note? Nice. And it also sounds like you had really fast turnaround times between like you would learn something quickly with the data annotation and be able to adapt it quickly as opposed to getting too far along. Because I think that was kind of one of the most, I would say, infamous, I guess, kind of like missteps in medical AI is probably IBM's Watson. And, you know, (laughs) one of the issues they encountered was they had really long cycles between training and then feedback from the community about was it trained correctly and was was the data annotated correctly because they were ingesting huge amounts of volume but yeah. then yeah it would be a long time before anybody would see the result of that and go like oh well this is all all wrong absolutely wrong right absolutely so yeah it seems like that like and then did you figure that out early on like how did you figure out this is what we need to do for our product teams and these are the people we need to have in the room and these are the timelines that we need to have for their kind of like insights to come in yeah we did i think some of the identity of the company in terms of you know, prioritizing not just AI, but also user experience was something that we baked in from day zero. And we wanted to make sure that we were being really sensitive and also cognizant of the opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know, like user experiences and user experiences in healthcare are just so crappy, right? Like yeah. all of us, we've been through it where it's just been terrible in one way, shape or form. And it's no better for the end users on the professional side either. And there's been so much written about burnout and how so often it's like the technology that providers are using in the hospital that's causing the burnout or or significantly contributing to it. So there is such a huge opportunity to find a way to unbundle one part, one signal, you know, from healthcare delivery. And the thesis of the company has always grounded us like we truly believe that healthcare is about people at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So if you were like, hey, is your company going to automate doctors in five years? Like that's not that's not our identity. It's not in our DNA. Our DNA is a thesis that healthcare is about people. And when you think about it, what are they doing? They're having conversations. And those conversations are increasingly happening over telemedicine. They're also happening over the phone. They're always going to happen in person. So building technology that can be a part of those conversations wherever they happen and creating value for both sides means that we're sort of taking advantage of a first signal in healthcare that's actually upstream of all those systems. All those medical record systems, the CRM systems, you know, the scheduling systems, the billing systems, all that stuff that's downstream. We're actually upstream of them. Yep. And over time, we could potentially create value there as well. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because I think it is a it's funny because I read about it like reading your website, and your materials like it's like apparent. It's obvious once you think about it, but it's not something you think about when you're generally having these conversations or even when you're in care that the bulk of the actual work happens in those chats you have. Right. But totally. Like, yeah, you're everyone's always talking about EMR or whatever EHR and you know the rest of the stuff. Like you said, is downstream ultimately to where the medicine actually happens. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, these conversations are upstream of like trillions of dollars to spend and yeah. all the outcomes. Yeah. Yeah. So I did also want to ask cuz I know this isn't your first go around as a founder. I noticed, you know, on your LinkedIn at least you had a couple other tries at that. So it seems like you were interested in entrepreneurship 
or have been for a long time. But do you want to give us a little bit of background about that and how you got interested in building a company to begin with? And then, you know, what the other attempts were and why this one came along eventually? Yeah, absolutely. So prior to this startup, I was a corporate venture capitalist for a large hospital Ah, system. Gotcha. Okay. I was writing the checks for their provider facing portfolio. So portfolio that was focused on doctor and nurse facing solutions, hospital facing solutions. And we were investing in startups, but we were also building. Like Mm. we had teams of engineers and analysts and designers, and we were building solutions for the hospital system as well that we hope to commercialize over time. And I just got to the point where I really wanted to be in the arena. And that personal experience that I shared with you that my wife and I went through, I think that was really eye-opening. But that thesis, like once you see it, it's so hard to unsee it. It just feels like a secret that's hiding in plain sight. That mm-hmm. Everything you just said, that healthcare is really driven by conversations. And so this signal is just so rich. And so finding a way to leverage the best of what's now and what's next from a tech perspective and create value for both sides from them just seemed like an unmissable, just an opportunity we had to, we had to seize. So way back in the day, I went to Carnegie Mellon. I studied everything I'm not doing today. I was like a history major, hmm. you know, took, took a extra year to make music. My roommate <laughs> and I, we like, he, he had a record label. There was, we were playing in art museums across the country, but I was doing pre-med requirements then, went to med school, got really bored and then got really excited about med school and, and medical training in general. When I started to talk to patients, loved hmm just sitting down and having conversations with people and caring for them. And then also it just felt like technology, you know, was going to create incredible value in healthcare. And and since residency, when I was at Michigan, I've just been trying to position myself to be a part of something that could create impact at scale. And tech is really the ticket there. Or you could do basic science research and wait for 13 years to publish something in nature. But like, that's not, (laughs) that's that's not my DNA. (laughs) Great. Yeah. How did you get interested in medicine then? Because it sounded like you were, that wasn't your direction, but then the pre-med came up at some point. You had inklings that you were going to go this way, right? Yeah. So you probably noticed this. There are a lot of Indian doctors in the world Mm. and there's a lot of, (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of Indian doctors in my family too. So I I think I was subconsciously trying to rebel against that forever oh, um, okay. I spent yes. the most musician of my, thing is probably totally. pretty against <laughs> I, was, I spent most of my time at Carnegie Mellon skateboarding to be honest with you like it, <laughs> it was it was really defeated and there was a moment in undergrad when I thought I was going to be an architect and William McDonough the sustainable architect comes in this is like a total hallmark kind of story I think or it's going to sound like it but it's it's sincere William McDonough comes to Carnegie Mellon he does this lecture on design thinking when like the D school at Stanford was pretty young too and he talks about how we're all designers of our world and he tells us about this ophthalmologist in India Krishnaswamy and this ophthalmologist had designed this revolving platform that he sits on and he brings patients in at 12 3 6 and 9 around this platform And he does a cataract at 12, and cataracts take like minutes sometimes. And then Mm -hmm. he says spin, and his staff spins him to three, cataract, spin, cataract, spin. And he's just spinning all day long, giving eyesight to people. And by the time I'd heard this lecture, he'd given eyesight to over a million people. Wow. Or millions of people. And he taught the procedure to his daughter, who had given eyesight to over 400,000 people already or something like that. And I was just like mind blown thinking like that kind of impact. Like it never really hit me that that hits different to me yeah. personally, not that it's better than another kind of value that can be created in the world. But I finally realized I wanted to do that. So then I told my parents and of course they celebrated. <laughs> <laughs> and here I am trying to be at that intersection of like healthcare and impact. And like that's where tech is going to live. Wow. Or already does. 
So without that, you would have been a professional skateboarder, possibly. Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or yeah, didn't totally. have the shops for the the. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I was gonna get there. <laughs> when you are talking to investors and you're thinking about going to conferences and doing other things, I think like for whatever reason, the tech world really likes to categorize itself, probably because tech is everything. So if you can't find your cohort or your category or your vertical or your industry or whatever, it can feel all over the place, I think. Mm -hmm. But how do you, where do you see yourself fitting in? Is it like more of a AI machine learning company? Is it more of like a health tech company? Like, is there some crossover? Do you do both or do you pitch certain VCs different ways because of it or? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's been a lot of the latter, to be quite honest with you. Sometimes, you know, we'll just flex a different part of our persona, personality, company personality, depending on who we're talking to. So we're really proud, for example, of our machine learning. And so a deep tech investor will invest. And our latest round was led by a partner who was at a company called Element AI. And that was one of those really big first, you know, initial kind of AI splash companies. And this partner is really, really sensitive, Meg Gupta to what it takes to build an AI company. And he's got a lot of great learnings that he's he's giving to us. But at the same time, our first investor and our largest investor is Union Square Ventures. And it's funny, like the way we chose Andy Weissman and USV was I stalked a lot of Twitter profiles of VCs in the early days when we were ra- thinking to raise a, a first round. And uh, what was so interesting about USV and Andy specifically is he would tweet about like, they're they're all about music and I live for music too. Mm-hmm. And he'd tweet one day about like like a hip hop song. And then the next day he'd tweet about like a country song. And then the next day it'd be like Swedish death metal. And like <laughs> the next day it'd be something else. And it felt like if you can truly appreciate that kind of, you know, th- that spread of music, then you're probably pattern matching at the level that's going to be required to understand our opportunity at this company. Mm-hmm. Because we can use all those patterns from a network effect centered company that USV invests in. And we can also use, like, we also have to be sensitive to healthcare, you know, and, you know, Jordan, what you brought up before around like data sensitivities or like, you know, recording sensitivities, you sort of, you have to be able to pattern match, but at a really, really high level. And, you know, I think that that's what we've been trying to do across the companies, put together really interesting ingredients that haven't come together before. That's cool. Yeah. I'm wondering now, this is good advice for VCs listening is watch what you're tweeting and think about <laughs> <laughs> think about what it actually reveals about you, even if you're just tweeting musical preferences. I wonder, maybe that was by design, though. Have you ever asked Andy, like, was that your, uh, <laughs> yeah, your fishing he, he expedition definitely... for smart companies or what? <laughs> <laughs> Andy's so, he is who he is. He's like, it's awesome. Like yeah. he's, there's, uh, it's all authentic. That's great. So how about, how has the overall process been? Did you have a, like, would you rate your overall fundraising process as difficult, rather smooth? Like you you have a great, you know, kind of professional background going into these conversations, but how was it for you overall? And has it gotten easier, harder, whatever? Overall, it's been on the spread. I don't have a lot to compare against. I never, I had prior small little projects that we might've incorporated, but really this is the first venture back startup that I've built. And so without kind of those comparisons, I can say that it's been smooth so far. I can't complain. Mm. I think that we've been really, really lucky to land the sorts of partners around the table that just feels like they have our back. 
You know, it feels like they're great humans with deep expertise, albeit in separate areas. Like Bessemer comes in with enterprise expertise in healthcare. And, you know, Meg, I mentioned with the AI stuff, and he's got a really great LP base that's strategic. And then Andy is, you know, as we said, it's, it's USV. But these are people with deep expertise who are also down for the mission as well as the money. I think what's special about healthcare companies is that you can kind of tie those things together, like yeah. achieve a really amazing mission, and you should be making tons of money. And there's a lot of pitfalls. There's a lot of bombs and booby traps along the way. But kind of having a true north in mind and getting aligned with investors, you know, it helps a lot. So it's helped our fundraising a lot because these are people who are super credible and they believe it and they see it and they can taste the value that we can create, the impact that we can create. And I think that's helped helped our processes like pass the seed also. You know, it's just that first round, I think, was really important to kind of get the ball like get everything started with the right people around the table. And so far, it's been steady. It's been smooth. Yeah, it was the first round. Going into that, did you have any people you leaned on? Did you have any mentors that pointed you in the right direction? Or how did you kind of prepare for the first fundraising when you set out to do that? Yeah, you know, we didn't do anything probably the right way. (laughs) I'm sure the right way is to like kind of practice. There's a whole bunch of VCs and like get to the that your reach schools or something, you know, your dream partners, mm. once you're totally a pitching machine. But we were really opportunistic in that the reach partner, the partner we really wanted turned out to be an early opportunity for us. So it was oh, one wow. of our first pitches where we I went to New York and got to sit down with Andy and his team. And it got orchestrated through a first advisor named Zen Chu. He started this thing at MIT called Hacking Healthcare, where he brings people together to hack on ideas in the healthcare space. And a lot of those teams end up starting companies that are really successful and have been um, huge successes. But PillPack, for example, yep. came out of one of those meetings. And so Zen was like, we got to go. Like, USB wants to chat and hear more about what you're building. And so I didn't really get it much preparation. I didn't really get to train at all. We just went to New York City. It was one of the first pitches. But I felt so good after that meeting that it just felt like inevitable. Did you even have a deck or were you just like talking off the cuff? We put a deck together the same day. It was like, okay, <laughs> the, the email intro came in and then we were like building the deck as the email came in and then we sent it and they're like, okay, see you tomorrow. And then uh, went from there. Wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So I want to ask one question. It's going to make me sound like I'm interviewing you for a job. <laughs> Which I'm not, although it might be nice as a founder to get some of those questions because you probably don't get them very often. That's true. What do you say, like as a leader, as a business leader, right, and founder for your team, what would you say is like your greatest strength and your greatest weakness? I'd say my greatest strength and my greatest weakness, like these things like go together so often, right? Yeah, and two sides of the same coin. Yeah, (laughs) I'd say... I am who I am. And I think I think I'm people use this word all the time. And maybe it's a faux pas, but I think I'm pretty authentic in the way that I lead. I I have a learning mindset and I'm humble and I'm I feel like I'm a student of everyone who's around me, everyone who I have the privilege of working with. I'm just trying to learn mm. and hopefully be someone who can kind of help them kind of get better and help us move forward. And I think that being a student and having that learning mindset and having a very divergent mindset, you know, like always looking for new stuff and new ideas. And that is also a weakness in that being able to really like focus, like home in on like one thing, like let's just do this one little thing. Right. 
becomes a challenge for me. Like I need the right people around the table to kind of say like, okay, great. This is awesome from a vision perspective, but like, let's really focus on this one thing. And so I'm mindful of that. And that's maybe part of the battle here, but certainly with this specific opportunity, you think about it. Our thesis is healthcare conversations. Mm -hmm. There's over 2 billion of them that happen every year. And just like the United States alone, these summaries that we create, it's the same archetypal format around the world. This market opportunity is expansive. It's huge. Yeah. And so it can be dizzying in terms of like, where should we go? Like this company wants to partner with us and pay us for like call center integrations. This one wants to do doctor patient conversations in an urgent care. This one wants to do something that's fully focused on patient value and family value. So that ability to switch gears from divergent to convergent is something that I'm always working on. Cool. That's a good answer. And I feel like not just your typical job interviewer. Well, I mean, my greatest weakness well, is that I work was. too hard. Yeah, I know, but I feel like this was... It was like, my greatest strength is also my greatest weakness. <laughs> this is genuine. This is genuine. Because if you are open to all that stuff, right, then you can just dream all day and not get anything done, which is totally a real weakness. Yeah. I know people like mm-hmm. that. Like me, no. But I think I'm the opposite. I don't know what Jordan can attest, but... Um, yeah. Well, thank, both, to be honest. Yeah, there you go. But thanks you so much, Shiv. Like, it was really great talking to you. And I think, for what it's worth, I think you're authentic as well. You came across as very authentic this interview. Yeah, I like you. I give you two thumbs uh, up. Jordan never says that, <laughs> thank you. by the way, thank on this you. podcast. I yeah, don't think I'm she's gonna... liked anyone that we've had on before. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Can I like, can we put that on our website? Can we put that <laughs> sure. On our website? Like, you okay, can use cool. that. Just, I like you. <laughs> well, and I just feel like we have had like 20 conversations about how the conversations that happen in a doctor's office are basically meaningless yeah. with the highest stakes and like completely useless basically. And it's just, we've talked about it so many times. So whenever a founder comes along, it's like, Hey, I built this thing that you, I've already been about. naturally talking. Yeah, about. like yeah. just like yeah. just naturally annoyed at this problem, and they're like, "Oh, I solved it." I'm like, "Okay, cool, you're in, <laughs> yeah. you're good to go." Awesome, really stoked. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been a privilege. All right, Jordan, that was our conversation with Shiv. What did you think about that? Can you summarize it in a succinct way with your machine learning brain? Yeah. Totally. And then put it at our fourth grade reading level, which actually is your reading, reading level. level. Yeah. The yeah. one you aspire to anyway. But. <laughs> Aspirationally <laughs> at a fourth grade reading level. I like Shiv and I'm not ashamed to say it. And I said it on the podcast and I continue to feel that way. We record our intro outro on a different day mm-hmm. than the podcast and my feeling has remained. So I think it's important to clarify. Yeah. That is important. That's a lasting feeling. I just think this is one of those startups that captures my attention and kind of like keeps popping up in my head because I just feel like one, it's really hard to go the consumer route in health tech, but this is something that is really compelling. Mm -hmm. Feels like really lightweight, low friction and high value to an end patient or end consumer. So that's a really big deal, super clever. And it also just feels like it's meeting a huge need, which is just untangling the kind of verbal. It's wild to me that you don't leave a doctor's office. You leave with a prescription that's like, keep taking this or like with food one X a day. It's a completely unrecognizable name that you've never heard of before. You Google it. Everything else is unrecognizable basically. 
And that's it. And then the conversation you had, which could have been anything like, who knows, you're stressed, whatever. So this tool is really, really cool. And Shiv is just a cool guy who has experience in the field. And I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do think typically we don't have people on a podcast that we don't think that they're onto something to begin with. Right. But like Mm. the, the product here was really, really good. Like, like I was super impressed by it when he gave us the demo, which I mentioned in the intro there, but like the, way in which it addresses both of its audiences so well is what was really impressive to me about how on the doctor side, it presents it in a view that is perfect for a doctor's needs in terms of like building their notes for the day, which is something they have to do legally to continue being like practicing physicians. Right. So (laughs) I was really impressed by like the degree to which it seems to solve the problem it seeks to solve even at this stage, right? Because it's a very ambitious thing to take on. It's also much needed, but yeah. And then when you see that, because it's one of these things where you see, you're hearing about what it does and you're like, why don't you just do other domains? But I think the key... Oh, that's not what I was thinking at all. Oh, okay. Because to me, the, the key is that the, all the work they've done is in the specific domain, right? Like the basically the off-the-shelf thing is the summarizer, but then they do all the domain work, but yeah. Well, it's the same premise, I think, the way that I was thinking about it, which is that when you see someone execute something so well, right, problem and solution kind of married together in such an awesome way that, like you said, meets both sides of its audience so well, it's easy to get excited about what could be next. And it's easy, obviously, to make the jump to like, oh, what about other domains? But to me, I'm thinking like, what is phase two and phase three of this product and this company? Because... There's a lot more that can be done in health tech once you have this kind of conquered, right? And you get the scale you need. And he talked a little bit about what directions a bridge could go in based on that. And that's really exciting to me because you see someone, step one is often the hardest, right? So Yeah, and and not to give away too much, not to spoiler our own podcast here, but if you... Actually, I don't know what sequence we'll be releasing these in, but there's another conversation we have with Kelsey... Mellard from Sitka and you can see like the integration there like she's working specifically in the relationship point between general practitioners like your family doctors and specialists and this would be great for that too right like you could see the output being okay this is for a specialist but still a doctor right so they have a level of understanding but they're looking for different things organized in a different way right so super cool the different possible things they can do in health tech. But yeah, I mean, and like you, I just, I thought that Shiv was just really a great, seemed like a great person. So it was fun to talk to somebody with that kind of vibe, right? I would work for him, Jordan. Yeah, I would too. Great. Do you think he'll make an offer? Or? I, I was, I don't know I've what been messaging him, but I don't know, nothing's coming up. So Like chief ideas officer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but all in all, great chat. Glad we had him on the show. And yeah, you know, do the things we love you to do, which is rate and review our podcast and, you know, leave some feedback for us there. Constructive, but positive. Welcome. But, you know, skew, anything, skew towards really. the positive, really, though. But yeah, anything. Sure. Just put some lorem ipsum in there. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Found is hosted by myself, TechCrunch news editor Daryl Etherington and TechCrunch managing editor Jordan Crook. Yashad Kulkarni is our executive producer. We are produced by Maggie Stamitz and edited by Kel Keller. TechCrunch's audio products are managed by Henry Pickovit. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, and on Twitter at twitter.com found. 
You can also email us at found at techcrunch.com and you can call us and leave a voicemail at 510-936-1618. Also, we'd love if you could spare a few minutes to fill out our listener survey at bit.ly slash found listener survey. Thanks for listening and we'll be back next week.